You're listening to Pangea, the podcast about global ideas. I'm Jacqueline Schiff. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I have something a little different for you today uh, that I think you're going to really like. So um, it's actually a recording from the Huddle for Global Change, which I hope you've heard about, but perhaps not. Let me briefly explain. So the Huddle for Global Change um, was a five-day um, online conference that my company, Pangea Productions, um, put together this past May. It was the first of its kind, and essentially it was you know five days of completely online programming, so for anyone anywhere in the world uh, who's seeking a meaningful and impactful career in the international arena. And my approach was really simple. I kind of thought, okay... You know, I've I've basically been in uh, global development and um, uh, foreign policy for you know nine years or so, and um, I thought of the people who I've found most interesting and and inspiring in in this kind of work, and you know one of the things is that they're actually doing this kind of work. They're not like off somewhere just kind of thinking about what it means to to do things in a certain way. Um, they're in the field. I actually don't really like that expression, but you know what I mean. They're out there and they're making things happen. So, for example, we had uh, Stuart Holliday, Ambassador Stuart Holliday, who's a former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., and he was kind of sharing insights from, you know, how his career in diplomacy has taught him about global leadership and how that can be applied to, uh, you know, your career in international relations or really any career. And then also had um, a friend of mine, Cameron Conaway, who published a book of malaria poems. And he was talking about how you can do something really unique and different as, as a way of getting your advocacy message across um, and shared some really interesting aspects of his personal story. There was lots of stuff like this um, in the huddle. And uh, of course, in the days and weeks since I've really been focusing on getting feedback from participants because my number one goal was was to make it a really valuable, good experience. And so I'm taking that feedback and, and I'm really pleased to say um, that, uh, you know, a lot of it has been very positive, uh, but lots of constructive ideas too. And so for the, the next huddle, I'm thinking about the different things I've heard and, and how to make it an even better experience for the next time. What does this mean for today's episode? Let me tie this all together. Um, so uh, today's episode is one of the sessions um, from the Huddle for Global Change. So it was actually the last, um, the session on the last day, it was the morning session. And the title of the session is Your Global Career, Observations and Takeaways on getting started in foreign affairs. Um, and there were actually three pre presenters, Gary Barnabo, Elizabeth Cutler, and Joshua Marcuse. I'm not going to get into uh, their bios and, and uh, introduce them right now because it's uh, I introduced them on the recording. But uh, they're all uh, part of Young Professionals in Foreign Policy, and they explain a little more about that group during the session. You know, they, they talk about sort of personally how they got started and then just generally give like advice and tips that they've learned along the way um, that has, you know, helped them. And, and they all work in very different aspects of um, 
foreign affairs. I mean, Gary's in the in the private sector, um, and then Elizabeth uh, also in the private sector, but is working for a government contractor, so kind of a different side. And uh, just lots of great insights, and especially towards the end, they they kind of share some really personal things. Josh as well, uh, you know, was really open, and uh, during the session, you know, some of us were on Twitter tweeting about it and people really responded to what they were saying. So I hope you will enjoy. Um, this is, you know, if you're in foreign affairs, if you want to get into foreign affairs, if you just want to internationalize your career a little more, I think you'll find this really valuable. And even if not, if you're just interested in career, you know, what it takes to to build a good career and what it what it takes to build a career you love. I think they've got, you know, insights um, that that are valuable for everyone. And uh, I should just say they were such, you know, uh, them being part of Young Professionals in Foreign Policy, they were a great partner to work with on the huddle. And um, I'm very grateful to them for uh, agreeing to make this, you know, freely available and shareable. So before uh, we get into the session, I I would ask that if this is interesting to you and you'd like to hear a little more about the huddle and know when uh, recordings are available, know when future huddles are happening, please go to the website pangeaglobal.co. That's P-A-N-G-E-A global, G-L-O-B-A-L, all one word, dot C-O. You can sign up uh, for the email list there. That's by far the best way to keep in touch. And also, when you're on the website checkout, we're having free webinar briefings in July that are uh, under the theme of thinking critically about doing good. Um, So check that out. I think you'll find that really interesting as well. It's free. You just need to sign up. So I hope you will do that. And I hope you'll enjoy the rest of your day and enjoy listening to the session from the Huddle for Global Change. Everyone, again, welcome to um, the Huddle for Global Change, day five, first session. Um, it's been such a good week, and um, and we're finishing out strong today with an excellent, um, excellent panel. So I'm going to briefly um, introduce uh, the panelists um, and then turn the show over to them. Um, so... First up, we have, and this is just in alphabetical order, um, Gary Barnabo, um, who is a management consultant at Booz Allen Hamilton, where he leads teams that provide strategic planning, policy innovation, organizational change, and leadership development services to clients across the U.S. government. Um, Gary is the past president of Young Professionals in Foreign Policy, and he led the organization from March 2012 to March 2015. Um, Our second panelist is Elizabeth Cutler, who is serving as the acting president um, and senior vice president of YPFP. She coordinates day-to-day management of the organization, including implementation of YPFP strategy, programs, external outreach, and staff management. Um, Elizabeth is a project associate with DAI, 
where she provides home office support to USAID-funded projects in Asia. Previously, she was a recruiter for the Afghanistan portfolio at DAI, during which time she spent three weeks in northern Afghanistan. And finally, um, on the panel, we also have Joshua Marcuse, um, who is the founder and chairman of YPFP, and he served as president until 2012. Josh uh, serves as senior advisor for policy innovation in the office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, where he serves on policy innovation, leadership development, and organizational change. He also established and leads the OSD policy design and innovation practice and is a design thinking instructor and uh, facilitator. So um, really, it's my pleasure to uh, welcome the three of you today to the huddle. And um, Josh, let me turn things over to you. And uh, I believe you're all going to just um, briefly kind of um, give a few opening statements and we will go from there. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. Um, this is this is Josh. Really thrilled to see you bringing people together for these sorts of conversations, and uh, excited to be here. Particularly excited to be here with Gary and Elizabeth. So, uh, I wanted to say a couple words about how I got involved in foreign policy and why and how young professionals in foreign policy came about and maybe offer a few pieces of advice uh, for your listeners. And looking really looking forward to hearing what, what Gary and Elizabeth have to say and really looking forward to the questions that we get. So things for me began really on September 11th, 2001. I'm from New York City. 9-11 uh, had a profound impact on my life. Uh, I was fortunate that I didn't lose any loved ones, uh, but it changed my orientation of how I see the world. And ultimately it changed what I thought uh, I should do with my life and the impact that I hoped to have. And so I spent the rest of my time at college thinking about international security, international affairs, and trying to figure out how to have a career in that arena. And it was incredibly difficult. I really had a terrible time trying to figure out how to get a foot in the door, um, working for the government, how to find a way to get a job abroad, uh, even though I had a great education, I just didn't really have the preparation that I needed or the relationships that I needed. I didn't really know what to do. And so I just ended up moving to D.C., um, figuring this is where foreign policy jobs in the United States were had. And so I showed up and literally just started knocking on doors and talking to people. And it was very trying. It was, it was honestly, it was one of the biggest um, moments of, of struggle and anxiety for me in, in my whole life. And I think a lot of young people, even 15 years later, are still experiencing that, a lot of confusion and a lot of heartache about what they want to do and feeling like maybe they have a lot of choices, but perhaps a paralyzing array of choices. And, and it's not clear how to turn those options into opportunities. I was very lucky. I ended up at a great think tank. I ended up at the Council on Foreign Relations. But when I was there, I discovered something really interesting, something that I think will really resonate with you and with your listeners, and that is that all the other young people that worked at the Council on Foreign Relations and the sort of researcher jobs like the one that I had were experiencing similar things. They were experiencing similar feelings of, of anxiety about their future in a sense that they were very lucky to have gotten a great job, but they weren't having the impact that they wanted to have. 
And they also had all reinvented the wheel for themselves. They'd all sort of groped their way in the dark into a foreign policy job or an international affairs job. And there wasn't a community that connected them. And so I just thought there's got to be an organization out there that brings all of these young people together and gives them a clear path uh, or at least a clear set of alternatives and helps them recognize what they what their goals are and what their values are and brings them together. And I went out to find that organization so I could join it and it didn't exist. We didn't find something that, that met that demand. And so a lot of my colleagues at the Council on Foreign Relations said, well, if it doesn't exist, we should start it. And that is, that is itself an interesting moment, right? That's a very millennial attitude. You certainly didn't invent entrepreneurship, but for a group of young people to get together to say, hey, the thing I want isn't there, I'm going to make it myself. Um, I think that is something that's special about our generation and something that we should each cultivate in ourselves and in others. And that's exactly what we did. And so it was really just a group of young people getting together to talk about what was going on in the world after work. And, you know, that was around the time that Facebook was just getting started, that Google had just come on the scene. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was a very different time technologically, and we didn't have a lot of the tools that we now take for granted. So we actually just created a, a Gmail address, ypfpinfo at gmail.com. I still remember it. And we just started sending invitations out um, using this Gmail list. And other young people would let us know, hey, I heard you guys are getting together. This sounds cool. We're young professionals. We're interested in foreign policy. We're going to be young professionals in foreign policy. You know, put me on the listserv. And so we got to the point where we were doing an event every a couple of weeks. And we were really enjoying ourselves. And we were learning a ton. And we were finding great mentors. And uh, one day, we were sending out an invitation for an event about post-conflict reconstruction in Iraq. And um, we couldn't send the invitations out. Everything was bouncing back. They were locked up. We couldn't send them. We didn't understand why. And so we, we started looking you know, on these different uh, chat rooms about this new thing, Gmail. And we were trying to figure you know, what's, what's going on. And we learned there was an obscure rule designed to prevent spam. And, and the rule said you couldn't email more than 499 people. And so we, we looked at our our email address list and we realized we had 499 people on the list after six or seven weeks and that was when we knew we'd really tapped into something. This thing had just grown organically by word of mouth to, to you know, 500 people, 500 people like us, 500 people who were searching for a way that they could have a meaningful life and a meaningful career and be part of the historical moment that we were living in at that time. And that was how YPP was born. And uh, it, it is a source of enormous um, pride and gratification to me that over 10 years later, um, that list now spans not hundreds, but thousands of young people around the world. And that, and I think probably most of all, that extraordinary leaders like Gary and Elizabeth want to be part of leading that community uh, and that we're now more vibrant than ever, as I'll explain to you. So that's my story. It's how I got involved. Um, that, that's what the the origin myth for young professionals in foreign policy is here's the three pieces of advice I give. And of course it's DC, so they, they all have to be alliterative. So there are three eyes, right? That that's the rule for, for panels like this. So the first piece of advice that I would give is it's important to be intentional. Most of the young people I talk to and I have an opportunity to give advice to a lot of young people at different points in their career, a lot of them haven't really structured their thinking about what they want to do. 
um, or how they're going to get there. And so they, they may actually be very good at applying strategic thinking to an organization's mission, but they don't turn that lens on their own life and they don't look at their own strengths and weaknesses, their own opportunities. They don't plan out what experiences they need to have in order to get where they want to go. And I think one of the strengths that, that I had that helped me enormously over my career was that I understood how I saw my own career choices fitting into my view of how I believe the world was changing. And so I had this instinct, and I'm certainly not the only person to have this thought, which I think now is almost considered um, canonical, but I had this instinct that the sectors in society needed to merge, that government, nonprofit, civil society, and business, that leaders needed to understand all three sectors. And that was before the term tri-sector was really used anywhere, but we had this sense that you needed to tear down the barriers. And so I set out to have experiences in all three sectors. Um, in the first decade of my career. And one way in which I did that was I ended up spending six years working in the, in the private sector, but I was involved in, a, in several nonprofit organizations, my own and other people's at the same time. And so I was able to do private sector and, uh, and nonprofit at the same time. And the type of private sector job I was in at Booz Allen was all dealing with government clients. So I was able to have a job spanning all three sectors for six years. And that sort of intentionality really helped accelerate the path for me from, from where I was to where I was trying to get. And so that's why YPFP thinks about this framework in four specific categories, knowledge, skills, exposure, and relationships. And that's what I think every young person needs to think about for themselves. What's the knowledge that I need to be successful in pursuing my aspirations? What are the experiences that I have to have? How do my job choices over a 10 year period fit into acquiring those experiences? And how do I seek out those experiences? You know, what am I trying to be exposed to? I mean, I decided to move to Washington, D.C. because I wanted to be exposed to the Washington, D.C. community. I know other people who've moved abroad because they wanted to be exposed to other communities. Um, they joined organizations because they wanted to be exposed to those communities. So I think those are important. And the last thing, which has always been primary for me, has been the relationships. And the relationships brings me to the second I, besides intentional, which is interconnected. Um, this isn't true for everyone, um, but for me, Probably the most important thing that I've done is, is spent a lot of time with a lot of people and really invested in relationships with people and seen the power of networks to come up with solutions to, to challenges, not only in, in my own life and the careers of my friends and colleagues, but really figuring out how to use those relationships to, to solve global challenges and to use it in my job at the Department of Defense, to use it in my job in the consulting industry, to use it in, in roles I've had in the nonprofit community. So I think really being deliberate and intentional about cultivating those relationships and being an interconnected person and a connector of other people is the, is the second I. And the third and the one that, that I think is the hardest to attain because it's not an action you can take. It's not a series of steps. The third is being introspective. You're not really going to be happy unless you know what makes you happy. You're not going to really be successful unless you know what you're good at. You're not really going to be able to live a life of of intense accomplishment and, and conviction if you don't really know what your values are. And it's very hard to achieve goals if you don't know what your goals are. So I always encourage people to be introspective and write things down. You know, it's, it's easy to have a lot of conversations with a lot of people, but if you don't write things down, it's really hard to have that kind of intellectual clarity. And so, you know, I, I use the PowerPoint 
charts and the, and the articles and the essays and all the things that we would do for Booz Allen Hamilton or for young professionals in foreign policy or for the Department of Defense. And I, I make those for my own life, for my own choices, my personal life, my professional life. And I think being introspective and intentional or go together and, and being interconnected helps you get where you need to go. So those would be the three things that I would say. And uh, it's a great privilege for me to turn it over to Gary. Great. Thank you, Josh, and thank you, Jackie. It's a, a pleasure and an honor to be with you. Uh, fine Friday afternoon in D.C. and uh, hopefully for all of you around the world, around the country, wherever you may be. Um, I want to share a little bit, as Josh did, of, of my own story and link it back in particular to the YPFP experience. And I, I think Josh and I have a, a similar departure point uh, in September 11, 2001. Uh, Josh you know, is a native New Yorker. Uh, I, at the time, uh, on that day, uh, was in Sydney, Australia, where I grew up, and I uh, said so I was like the last person in the world to hear about 9-11 because of the time difference and certain family habits, and it sort of was over 12 hours after uh, the planes hit the towers that we actually knew what was going on. Um, but being an American, uh, being raised abroad, being in high school at the time, um, seeing, uh, seeing that event and seeing the, the impact on the United States, but seeing it with a slightly different lens, um, being on the other side of the world, and it really shaped my outlook uh, uh, on foreign policy, on U.S. national security, on global affairs uh, going forward. And, and the lesson for me was, I think, the same as the lesson was for Josh. The world had changed in a very fundamental way, and it will re require young people uh, to behave and to operate very differently than perhaps we had uh, assumed we would uh, to that point being sort of raised, you know, through the 1990s, a period of great, you know, frankly, peace, stability, and prosperity, um, certainly in the U.S. and in many other places. Um, so I went off to college, and I had a pretty uh, uh, clear understanding of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted a career in foreign policy, in international relations. I was a political science major. I did all sort of the right things at school. I went to the University of Notre Dame, did all the things there that you would expect an IR policy major to do. My story was not that. Uh, interesting or different at college, the right internships, the right classes, the right thesis, the right mentors and advisors. Uh, and I was lucky in that uh, I was I was hired into my first job uh, while I was still in college. I, I saw my offer letter in my senior second semester senior year, and I didn't really have to go through a, a really complicated job search or job hunt. I was very discerning, uh, and to use Josh's third eye, I think I was quite introspective while I was in school about what type of job do I want right out of college? Should it even be a job? Should it be grad school? What, what is the set of options available to me in the IR foreign policy space? Uh, but I was lucky that Booz Allen uh, was willing to hire me while I was still in school. And uh, as you know from my bio, I'm still there now almost seven years later. And I think that that is actually not quite unusual among our generation to be in a first job uh, for seven years and to not really change jobs. So I sometimes say when folks ask me for job search advice, sort of narrowly focused on the job search, I say I'm actually not, not the best person to talk to. I know a lot about foreign policy. I know a lot about uh, these fields, but I don't really have experience hunting for a lot of jobs because I just haven't done it. Uh, for better or for worse, there are some reasons why that's actually probably quite, quite bad for me. Uh, I started Booz Allen in 2008, loved it. Um, but about a year in, I, I realized that I had what I always describe as a cognitive surplus. Uh, the Booz Allen was keeping me busy, but not quite busy enough. That there was more that I wanted to do and that I wanted to give and that I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to find those same organizations and networks and relationships that Josh spoke of searching for when he was at the Council on Foreign Relations. 
Um, but I was lucky in that there was an organization that did exist because Josh and a, and a group of people had started it. Uh, and Josh was at Booz Allen at the time, and uh, my boss introduced us. Uh, and in many ways, the rest is history because uh, now six or so years later, I have just uh, stepped down after three years as president of YPFP, uh, which was preceded by two years in, in other roles uh, in the organization. Uh, YPFP for me, uh, particularly being the president of YPFP, but really I think all of our volunteers talk about this, and we are an all-volunteer organization and have been for a decade. Uh, they talk about their YPFP experience on staff being a formative professional experience for them. And I think it really comes down to, to one key reason, and that is in YPFP, we're able to offer our volunteers, people who are in their early to mid-20s, late-20s, opportunities to lead, to manage, to have a level of responsibility, to have a level of influence that in almost all cases goes beyond their day job. Most of us in our first or second job, the first three to five years of our careers are uh, largely doing what we're told in the jobs that we have. Um, our space for free action, our space for influence and responsibility and authority um, and real meaningful tough challenges is, is fairly limited. And I think YPFP accelerates the rate at which our volunteers have the type of professional and then personal experiences uh, that stay with them over the course of their careers and many people don't have until they're 10 or 15 years uh, into their careers. Uh, the experiential learning that I got uh, that Josh has had, that Elizabeth has had, um, through YPFP has just been far greater than what any of us have had in our day jobs. And the point here is that it's not just about, well, YPFP is the only organization that you could be involved with that would give you these opportunities. Um, there are many other ways uh, that our generation can be engaged so much beyond what we do for our quote-unquote job. Uh, many of you are, are, are probably have your hands in multiple organizations or projects or initiatives. Um, and I think that's the way in the first five to ten years of your career to grow um, and to start to differentiate yourself among folks who are, who are thinking about sequentially moving from one job to another. Uh, so I just want to offer sort of three, three points of perhaps advice that are in many ways reflections on the experience that I've had so far living and working in D.C. for seven years. The first is... Um, on how I understand what a career is. When I was in college and in the first year or two out of college, I thought about a career really being a, a sort of a sequence set of jobs that take you down a certain path. And each one builds on the other, and maybe sometimes you sort of divert from that career path, but you're generally on a path and you move from one job to another and you follow the path that you want. And if you're really lucky, you sort of know what that path is and you have a good idea of you know one or two or three sort of end states that you'd like to reach. Um, and you just work on following that path, and that, that's the career. And what I think I've, re I've learned now, and YPFP is, is the biggest reason why I've learned this, is that a career to me is about an integrated set of experiences and activities that are happening at the same time. Um, and I, I often describe my career now as a Venn diagram. There are multiple circles, and they overlap, and they intersect in, in very interesting ways. And I'm constantly taking an experience or an opportunity from one area of my career, Booz Allen, and injecting it to another, YPFP. I'm taking a leadership experience that I had at YPFP, and I'm bringing it to a, you know, a board of directors uh, a position that I hold with another nonprofit. You know, I'm taking an experience there and applying it to you know, a special project that I'm working on with a close group of, of friends and colleagues. And I get this constantly uh, fluid and changing 
sort of set of circles that interact in, in very interesting ways. And, and the more deliberate I can be about creating those interactions, the more interesting opportunities uh, come up. And, and that is, in many ways, it, it's, it's a lot more fun. And it's also, for me, it's been a lot, it, it's been a way to sort of de-stress about my career. I'm less concerned about, am I making the right decision about the right next job to stay on the right path or to move down the path fast enough? And I'm much more concerned about how I draw on the different set of experiences that I'm having at any given time to build myself uh, as, as, a, as an individual, as a professional, in ways to, that I believe will allow me to have progressively greater impact on whatever I'm doing. Uh, so that's number one. Um, number, number two is I think that, that di the diversity of experience that I've had, one of the great benefits of that has been the, the ways in which I have learned how to be creative. And I think that we're in a, entering an era where, you know, for me coming out of college, the skill that was in, in high demand was analysis and strategic thinking and being you know, terrific communicators. I think we still hear a lot about that, but I think we're entering in an era where really creative abilities around problem solving, around seizing opportunities, around being able to help teams and organizations move faster is a skill that is what's really in increasingly high demand, and that's a really, really hard skill to quantify or even to talk about qualitatively. But the YPFP experience in particular forced me to learn how to be very creative and very entrepreneurial in solving problems and discovering opportunities and bringing teams together very early in my career. And that's a skill uh, now that I rely on so much day-to-day and -day everything that I do. So looking for those opportunities that will really push you beyond your limits will push you more than in that that one paying job that you have, and it will give you the opportunities to be super creative uh, in the way in which you interact with other people and, and, and organizations. Uh, and then finally, you know, I think most of us who think about a career in, in IR, foreign policy, or national security, start with a focus on the subject matter. You know, we, we're interested in a country or a region or, or a functional issue, uh, and that is what we aim to have a, a job that or have a career in. Uh, but I don't. I think those sorts of jobs where you just come out of school or in the first five years, you really get to focus on the bit of subject matter that you really like are pretty rare. Um, and thinking about what are the skills that you want to build, what are the experiences that you want to to have, or or even the experiences that you may want to endure because you know that you'll learn from them. Uh, and focusing on skills and experiences that you think will make you make you valuable. Uh, early in your career, being less concerned with the subject matter, uh, I think, and we can talk a little bit more about that as we go. So let me pause there uh, and turn it over to Elizabeth. Sure. Great. Thanks, Gary. Jackie, again, I echo um, all of our, our thanks for inviting us to be part of this um, part of this event. Um, you know, I was not I was not planning to to think on this, but now after hearing hearing Josh and Gary, I was also reflecting while they were speaking about where I was on 9-11, I'm a few years younger than, uh, than Josh, I was one week into my freshman year of high school. And I remember that extremely clearly. I remember everything about it. Um, and even though I was only 14, it really did change my worldview. And I remember going into social studies. And I remember my teacher saying, everything has changed. And I'm going to try to help you all understand this. And make sense of it. And I really appreciated that he treated us like adults and he changed the entire year's curriculum basically to, to help us be kind of global citizens. And he, I remember asking him a few days later, 
in the hallway who was who's responsible for for figuring this out for uh for fixing this and he said well probably your generation and that really stuck with me and he really encouraged me to think seriously about what I was interested in and, and I was already interested in in an in international career but I had no idea what that meant um, he encouraged me to take a, a class that my high school offered for sophomores that was called Global Issues. It was an integrated literature and history class with a global focus. I really think that I would not be where I am today if he had not encouraged me to do that. And then in that class, I, I ended up um, pursuing a summer program for high school students interested in international affairs, uh, basically international studies camp for only the, only the coolest of the cool kids. Uh, called the Pennsylvania Governor School for International Studies. It's truly, this experience is truly full circle for me because that's where I met Lauren Bond. We were 16 years old and she's now the co-creator of Foreign Policy Interrupted and was a previous speaker in this, uh, in this event. So that's been very meaningful to us personally that we can't believe, uh, we can't believe we grew up and we're actually doing the things that we said we were going to do that summer in 2004. Um, those were really hallmark experiences for me that, um, really defined my my younger years and, and development of what I was interested in and I feel like in many ways YPFP is that hallmark experience for me as a, as a young adult. Um, it's very different than those experiences but the way I feel about it and the values that it's it's taught me are very similar. Um, you know, I went on to college, I went to a small liberal arts college called Occidental College in Los Angeles, I went right into graduate school because I really wanted to stay in school and keep studying and even though two years into DC, I was uh, happy to be here and, and starting a career, I hadn't yet found what made it feel like home for me. I uh, hadn't yet had that kind of hallmark, truly hallmark experience until I, I kind of stumbled across YPFP and decided to go to a call for staff and, and check it out. And I, I actually recently found, I was looking for something um, in my personal email and found an email that I, I sent to a friend right after I went to this call for staff and applied. Um, and I, I sent them the link and I, I said, oh, it's this cool organization. I, I don't really get it, but I, I really want to be involved, but they're really impressive. So I just hope I get an interview at the very least just to meet these people. And I really just, that's all I knew at the time. And I'm thrilled that uh, Gary was one of the people that interviewed me and hired me for a role that I hadn't even uh, absorbed uh, originally uh, for, for human capital role, but they said, we think you could be good at this. And I'm really glad that they did because that's really how I figured out a lot of the things that, that Josh was referring to earlier about knowing what, what makes you happy and what you're good at. Human capital was a, an area that I'd never even heard of, but they saw something in me and, and saw a connection there. And I'm so glad that they did because that's how I've really figured out what I want to do long-term. And so that's a big part of the experience for me is just being open to things that you might not be able to predict or plan around um, and, and being open to what those experiences will do for you. So I learn a great deal in my, in my day jobs at DAI, but I've learned a huge amount through volunteering with YPFP. It's in many ways doubled, if not tripled, the sort of surface area of my experience. And so if I were to try to come up with, with three things, three pieces of advice as well, uh, they're not alliterative, I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's one to be open to these experiences, going all the way back to those examples I gave in high school, each step of the way, I couldn't have predicted what they would create or cause for me in any way, but I just was open 
to them and, and gave them a shot. And I'm so glad that they did because in the sort of rear view mirror of history, they, they do tie together. Be patient, um, not to use a, a, a bit of a stereotype about, about our generation, but there is a bit of some truth to the fact that we can be uh, a little focused on instant gratification and wanting to see results. Um, we're, we're different than the generations before us that worked for the same companies for 45 years and that kind of thing. You do have to be patient, uh, whether it's at a job or in school or something like that. It may take a while to figure out what you're interested in. It may take a second career to figure out what you're interested in, but it's worth it each step along the way and each lesson along the way. And that's something I still struggle to remember. So it's a, it's a, it's a learning experience all the time. And just to reflect, um, just like this experience has caused me to reflect on, on going back to that summer program in high school that I may not think about all the time uh, anymore, 11 years later, but just reflecting on from whence I come and those early experiences and conversations in University of Pittsburgh dorm rooms with Lauren and many of our colleagues, really reflecting on, on how far we've come and, and how far we have yet to go. And really tying back to, to Josh's advice to be truly introspective and figure out what, you're, what makes you happy and what you're good at but just know that it may take several experiences to get there. And it's okay if the, your, what you do in college or your study abroad experience or grad school doesn't immediately give that knowledge to you. It's all kind of all part of the process. So that would be my primary advice. So now we'll, uh, we'll get into more of a, a broader discussion of some other things we've learned from, from YPFP, um, but we'll also take questions at any time. Yeah, Elizabeth, if I could just uh, interrupt, first of all, uh, thank you to the three of you. Some really excellent um, tips and strategies, very, very practical advice. Um, I just want to remind everyone to submit uh, questions as they come up. We'll hold them until the end, until um, the presenters have finished and uh, we get into more of a discussion at the end. So if, uh, you know, something they say triggers a question or a thought, um, definitely submit those and we'll get to those at the end. Um, okay, so you guys are going to get into um, the uh, the next part of the program. Sure. So I think some of the things that, that we've been thinking about um, with regard to, to 10 plus years in, in YPFP um, is just that young people are are eager to to kind of expand their expand their experience um, and we see that in our members all the time whether it's coming to events or participating in in one of 20 discussion groups I'm always impressed when I meet members for members of three or four discussion groups that's actually quite a time commitment uh, when you think about it and that these are young people choosing to do this with their free time outside of their day jobs which are already quite demanding it's because that they they are really truly seeking to expand those intellectual horizons and deepen their expertise. It's about more than just getting a job and, and paying the bills. I think anyone that um, is is pursuing a career in foreign affairs and, and in global change, it's it's more than a job. It's more than a paycheck. It's it's a pursuit. It's a it's a meaningful commitment, and that's what we see in our members every day in terms of what they're willing to to do in their spare time and and learn about. So um, it looks like we have a couple questions. We're ready to take those. Um, oh, sure. Okay. So um, actually, there were there were a few things uh, that you mentioned um, that that triggered my thinking. So um, 
first of all, I, I guess I would pose to the three of you, uh, what would you say at this point with an understanding that, you know, this stuff um, evolves all the time? And I think you all really hit on this in a different way. What would you say is your personal mission statement? What are the issues that you as an individual are most interested in um, thinking about and working on at this point in your career? <laughs> it's it's a big question and I, I think certainly goes with the whole in, introspective and you know what are you what are you focused on what are you most interested in but um uh but yeah welcome you know any of you to to take a crack at it this is gary i'm, I'm happy to share sort of a uh a thought on this i i think i would start by saying that for me this this changes um somewhat regularly at least sort of the, the issues that I'm interested in working on and the impact that I, I seek to have does change. Um, that said, as each year goes by, I feel like I gain a greater understanding of what I'm sort of distinctly good at and where my contributions can have the most impact. And I think one important thing that I've learned for myself is that I think I'm pretty good at and I really enjoy work where I can focus on helping organizations and teams get better at how they execute their missions. And I like doing that most when those are organizations and teams that are very squarely in the, the national security or foreign policy space, uh, but not exclusively. In, in my time with Booz Allen, I've done this sort of work for, uh, for organizations that uh, are focused on healthcare, uh, that are focused on, uh, on other commercial sectors, um, but largely the national security space. And you know, for me, you know, that's an important realization. I'm, I'm not as much of a people person. I'm a little less interested in sort of the individual, you know, experience and feeling, and a little more interested in sort of the structures and the processes um, in organizations or in foreign policy in general. So that's that's a sweet spot for me, and that's when I find. Um, that I'm at at my best is when I'm able to focus on those types of of situations and issues. This is this is Josh. I think one of the reasons why Gary and I make such a great team is that I think we share a lot of the same goals around organizational performance. But I think I probably emphasize more the individuals um, to the extent that you know Gary emphasizes perhaps more the the organization and process. I think. One of the things that I'm concerned about is that achieving global change is so personally demanding right? for the individual that's trying to transform the organization or the institution or marshal all these different forces in the increasingly complex world that after a few years, a lot of these people opt out. They burn out. Um, they, they find that they are sailing against headwinds that are so stiff that they choose to, to deviate from that course and they, and they choose to go an easier way. And I don't blame anyone for that ever. But I believe that if we can understand the needs of those individuals and help them stay on the course a little bit longer, um, we as a global society will sail that much further. And so, uh, I'm very concerned about how do we tap into the potential of individuals and to make them better leaders. And the flip side of that is a lot of these organizations, whether the, whatever sector they're in, are led by people that aren't very good leaders. 
Um, so they, they have a sort of a formal authority role and they make a lot of decisions to organization and they have the ability to direct people to do things, but they aren't necessarily really good at leading the human beings uh, who are entrusted to them. And so I spend a lot of time working on trying to help people become better leaders of organizations. And so I think I, think I am very focused on the individual um, because I believe individuals matter. I think individuals can do a lot to help each other, but we really have to invest in them for them to lead organizations. So um, values and long-term goals, um, but we usually get at it sometimes from different ways. And I think that uh, it's exciting. It, probably a good, a good lesson in and of itself to surround, surround yourself with people who share your values, but not your approaches so that you can have balanced teams that, that have different perspectives and that kind of cognitive diversity to get things done uh, probably goes a long way. So that, that's really the challenge that I'm focused on. What do you think, Elizabeth? Yeah, I think one thing for me that's been a, a connecting theme in everything that I've done and, and what I hope to do in the future is just that I am fascinated by this concept of what what it means to be a, a citizen in today's world. Um, going back to the summer program that I that I mentioned, we, we talked a lot about global what it means to be a global citizen. And for that stayed with me, but it as I think is, it makes sense for a 16, 17 year old, I only thought about it in terms of what it meant for me uh, as a global citizen. And it really wasn't until I started traveling more in, in college and then, and then for work that I started thinking about it, what it means for the people I was meeting in these other countries and what it means about how they connect with us in the US. Um, it, it, it goes back to a couple of, of experiences I had um, during my time, uh, during my uh, visit to Afghanistan for my, for my previous day job talking with people who had built entire careers specializing in U.S. rules and regulations, which worked out well for them at the time, but they were extremely starkly aware that that was not going to be a marketable skill forever. What does that mean for them? What does that mean about their perception of the rest of the world? What does that mean for their job security and on a bigger level, the economic stability of, of their country, if that's, if that's the case? That was that resonated with me quite a bit, but on, on an equal level, uh, I had a, a wonderful conversation that I've never forgotten with one of the the Afghan uh, employees on a project that I worked on, where he said he needed to ask me a question about America, and I was very nervous about what he was going to ask. And he said, "Is it true that they are making a new Jason Bourne movie without Matt Damon?" And I said. I was so shocked that that was what he wanted to talk about. And I said, uh, yes. And he goes, well, that's, that's a shame. And we had a great conversation. And I just was totally blown away that that's what he wanted to talk about. That's what he cared about. He was very plugged into pop culture. And it was equally, it resonated with me on an equal level as the other conversations about, about job security and um, about livelihoods. Because that's what it means to be a global citizen. It's the whole person. It's the whole culture, and, and I think figuring that out and, and exploring that and, and pursuing work that allows me to, to explore that will continue to be a theme for, for me going forward. That's great. You I, know, I think on this, oh, go on ahead. this point about... That's great. Yeah. I, I, oh, go ahead. All right, Jackie. I was going to say, yeah, I think Elizabeth's really sort of raising this point of, of global citizenship. And, and what careers mean in just an increasingly globalized and globalizing world. 
Um, and I think some of the some of the simple things that we hear a lot of, of the value of foreign language, the value of foreign travel, the value of you know working for a year or two overseas somewhere um, is is really meaningful and is really important. And it's it's sort of a cliche at, at, at this point, but the the experiences that come with uh, uh, with seeing the world um, and seeing the world in a meaningful way, and not just business trips where you go from car to hotel and, and back, um, I think are, are really important. Definitely. Thanks for sharing that. Next, um, I wanted to move on to the topic of mentorship. And I approached this with a, a pretty specific perspective. Um, going into the huddle, one of the things I try to achieve is to gather a group of speakers that was fairly close in age to the participants. I think we often think about mentors as people who are 20, 30 years ahead of where we are in our careers. But I've found personally that some of the people I've learned uh, most from have been just maybe three to five years ahead of um, where I am. So my question for you guys is how do you think about mentorship and how do you go about finding and forming those important relationships? Jackie, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Uh, I, I kid you not, as I was uh, preparing for this, I, I wrote a note to myself that said, uh, mentors are not fairy godmothers, um, which I think is something that young people struggle with, that sort of uh, mis misinterpretation, misconception that persists uh, to this day, that they aren't going to do things for you, magically make things come together. Um, it's the mentee, um, and I almost hesitate to use that because I think it apply, implies being on the receiving end of something. It's really a collaboration. And the mentee, or, or the young professional in this case, needs to be in the driver's seat of that relationship. A mentor is not someone who's just going to do things for you and make things happen. Um, it's about piecing together a network of, like you said, peer mentors who will kind of help you make your own luck. I think that's what happens a lot that ends up leaving people with these misconceptions of what that means is they hear a story of someone who got lucky and some amazing person hired them to be their right-hand man on a campaign or at a new organization, but it's about making your own luck um, and setting yourself up to be available for those amazing opportunities. And I think that that comes from a combination of types of mentors. Of course, there is still tremendous value in building relationships with senior leaders in your field, at your job, um, at your school, absolutely. Uh, but it's just as important, as you said, to build relationships with people you're, you're at your own level and, and just a few years ahead of you. And I also have had similar experiences to what you said, Jackie, of feeling that I've actually gotten just as much, if not more, from what I would consider to be peer mentors, people who are within a few years of my own level, kind of bouncing ideas back and forth, hearing other people's experiences. It's, you're kind of in the, in the trenches together. Uh, and one thing that I've experienced in building, building sort of mentorship relationships with those people that are that more traditional look of a mentor, someone who, like you said, is 20 years ahead of you, is that so often the first thing that they'll say is, well, things are really different now than when I was your age. Well, great. That's, you know, that doesn't help me. <laughs> uh, so I think that's where the, the peer mentors come into play. And I think we see that a lot. We've seen that a lot over the last 10 years with our, 
with our members is that they really build those relationships with each other and they are really professional resources and guides and commiserators for one another. And this is Gary. I would uh, really agree with what Elizabeth said and, and just add the following. To me, mentor-protege relationships are always about learning. Whatever the level is, whoever the people are, it's it's about learning. And I think as a as a mentee or protege, you you're as responsible as the mentor is for contributing to a relationship that's about mutual learning um, and mutual satisfaction. And the give and take there uh, in learning, I think, is really important. It's you know sitting back and waiting for someone to sort of mentor you uh, is not going to lead to a, a good or a happy a happy outcome. I think. You know, once you start framing it as a learning experience, then this idea of peer mentorship becomes super important. Uh, is learning can happen in so many different ways from so many different people. And I think, as I, you know, I know, I now have people, many people that I would consider to be uh, my mentors, but I also have a number of, of proteges or mentees, and I will learn as much from those proteges and, and the conversations that I have with them as I might from my own mentors, and that. That give and take and that willingness to be open to learning and to help others learn at all levels, uh, whether someone is, you know, quote, more senior or, quote, more junior than you, uh, is, is really important. Okay, well, finally, um, if there aren't any more questions, I just want to turn it back to the three of you and um, see if you have any final thoughts, um, anything we didn't discuss or anything you'd like to add um, before we conclude our time today. One thing that I would add that, that I don't think we've had a chance to to, uh, to comment on, Jackie, is, is that, you know, as the organization is, is in its second decade, we can kind of look back and recognize that there, as with any field, there's a lot of trends, there's a lot of hot topics, um, where all of a sudden you'll see an, an implosion of events uh, around town and uh, on the same thing, and everyone's kind of chasing the, the same shiny ball. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on young people to be experts on everything, and that's not, that's just not possible. Um, everyone should, of course, explore new topics, areas of interest to them, but I would really encourage anyone looking to, to make a truly global impact and build their career around this area to really consider, and this kind of goes back to what Josh was saying earlier, really consider what interests them the most. And, and not be afraid to stick to that, even if it's not the area that's going to mean that your job is related to what's on the front page of the newspaper every day. Um, I saw this a lot in college with everyone clamoring to take the same Middle East politics class, even if they weren't really that interested in it. And I'm, everyone should consider other options and, and expand their worldview, but if you're interested in a region that's not the most talked about or, or a subject area that's not... Uh, not on the top of every list, that's okay. I think it's you're going to be more motivated if you're really interested in it and be able to build a career around it. This is Gary. The last thing that I would say is that, you know, Jackie, you've, you've very kindly given the three of us uh, an opportunity to share some of the experiences that I think all of us believe have, have really made us successful to the to the extent to the point that we have been successful in our careers. And, and the one thing that we haven't talked about is sort of the the old school value of hard work. And in some ways, it goes without saying, but I think it's easy to forget about it. I think sometimes young people do 
um, fail to appreciate the importance of consistent hard work and effort. And I think for Elizabeth, for Josh, and for me, um, our success is as attributable to the willingness to work hard over a sustained period of time uh, at the things that we care about, the things that we want to improve in, and the areas in which we want to make an impact. Um, and not losing sight of the fact that if you're willing to work harder than 90 or 95 percent of the people around you, um, your, your opportunities uh, to be successful, I think, go up uh, pretty significantly. Hey, Jackie, this is, this is Josh. I'll, I'll say something that may be a bit surprising, um, which is I want to talk about, just for a moment, um, how much of my career I have spent terrified, anxious, and insecure. Because usually panels like this often go with people talking about all of the highlights. And they sort of start, you know, well, you know, I like magically got chosen for this incredible position. And then I was surprisingly got a call and I was invited to become the, you know, deputy assistant secretary of awesome. And then I wrote my bestseller. Uh, and then it was on this top, you know, the top 100 books list. And, you know, and then I just thought I'd, you know, maybe should try the private sector. So I started my company and run our third round of funding, you know, and they just go from the highlights, the highlights reel. And they don't tell you about like all of the moments of despair in between. And I think that it's a bit discouraging at times for people that are figuring out how they want to go when, when the people that are offering them advice are only telling them uh, half the story. So for, for your people that want to be involved, you know, in the global huddle that have questions or doubts or fears, I just want you to know that there's nothing that separates the presenter from the listener. Um, you know, I left my first job because I wasn't very good at it and I was desperate and afraid and I thought I might get fired and I had a lot of moments of embarrassment there um, and I ended up at, at Buzan where I was frustrated and thought it wasn't the right fit for me and I stayed there probably longer than I needed to because I was unsure of what I would do next. Um, and there have been a lot of moments in my current job that I love and I think I'm very good at where I've thought that I'm an imposter and I'm making it up as I go along and I don't know the next thing to do. And the time that, you know, I've been involved in YPFP has included a lot of the worst mistakes I've ever made. Um, people that I let down, um, times I put the organization's future at risk and times when, um, you know, I made some really bad mistakes. So I just think that we all owe it to each other to be a little bit more authentic and a little bit more honest and admit that we don't always have the right answers. And we do try to put our best foot forward and make ourselves seem like we know what we're doing, but um, we'll try a lot of things and some of them won't work. And I think that we all just need to approach these, 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 types of challenges with, with a lot of audacity, but also tempered with humility. So thanks for creating an opportunity for us all to talk about what we're working on together. Thank you, Josh. Um, I really appreciate your openness and candor and uh, thank you to Gary and Elizabeth as well. Some very valuable points. Uh, for now, I think we'll end uh, the webinar here and just really appreciate everyone's time and hope you found the session valuable. Take care.